This is the I Read Comic Books Podcast. I am your host, Mike Rappin. Joining me this week, the two sexiest, angriest boys in the Star Wars universe, Kylo Ren and Anakin Skywalker. Tia Vasilio. Hello. And Kara Shamborski. <laughs> I find your lack of preparation disturbing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've really... Thank you. We've really fucked this up a few times, haven't we? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, we're just going to run with this one because this is the I Read Comic Books podcast. This is episode 343 for those of you at home keeping score. Um, I'm here with Kara and Tia to talk about comic books, and we're clearly very prepared for today's episode, which is going to be absolutely absurd. So I guess we should just dive right into things um, and say hello to everybody out there who hung out with us at the Patreon or excuse me, at the Discord hangout that we had last night, which was awesome. Um we're here to talk about comics, and I have two questions that I need to ask, which is, how have you been? How have comic books been? Let's start with you, Tia. Hi. I've been mad because um, all the concerts that I want to go to are happening, and I can't go to them because pandemic reasons, but mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. terrible people keep texting me about it, so stop doing that, and also bands, stop having concerts without me. <laughs> Please. <laughs> The whole world should just kind of stop until you say so, I think. I mean, can they at least stop until the, it's not going to kill people to like be out doing stuff with them? Thanks. Mm -hmm. That would be cool. Anyway. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I guess Gerard Way in various outfits is something uh, that we can all agree is beautiful and wonderful and wholesome. So... I mean, the TikTok content alone from that is is very entertaining, I will say, despite people going out and being in large groups despite it not being very safe um i am glad that we're at least getting footage and proof that uh he's living his best life oh my god the crop top outfit like i swear it i just am like are you you look like a 1940s like film star pinup girl i'm here for it like live your best <laughs> life i just want to inform you all that my entire frame of reference for Gerard Way is that music guy who became a comic guy. I know nothing right. else. Right. I think he was always both. Yeah, I, I mean, I think he, he was he was always like a, a writer and then he did music and then because of his music, he met folks like Grant Morrison and they helped, you know, Way basically find his way into comics, I think. Um, they end up being like mutual fans of each other, which I think is super cool. Yeah, Grant so, Morrison is plays the villain in Killjoys. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, so uh <laughs> so the answer to the question of how do I break into comics is you're already famous and you meet famous comic people who connect you. Yeah, well, I mean, if we're really gonna go back in the timeline, I think the answer is 9-11. Um, but Mike. that's a whole wow. other difference. Well, hold on. <laughs> this is not just a, a, a senseless joke. Uh, I mean, Gerard Way started his band because of 9-11. No, that's true. And... That's true. <laughs> Wait, really? Yeah. Yeah. There's... The saddest well, um, I'll bad be... boy origin. Yeah, also, the sad send you fun some videos. fact about Gerard Way is Joe Rogan is his brother, which give, it's giving what? very good and evil. Like there must be balance in the force. <laughs> you what? made that up. Yeah. I refuse to believe this fact. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you have to know this now. Hold on. Are they brothers <laughs> or is it like an alternate dimension? Variant? No, no. They're cousins. They're cousins. They're okay. cousins. I said I don't that, think right? I didn't say brother. But you said brother. You said no. I, you said brother. No, I'm sorry. It's look. I just woke up like an hour ago. No, no, that's okay. okay. I was like, I no, knew they were related, but I. 
I didn't realize that they were brothers. I was thinking cousins. I don't. I'm sorry. (laughs) No, it's it's honestly better that way. I I was like panic typing over here. I was like, no, 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 no it can't wait. be true. <laughs> I'm picturing that Simpsons episode where like there's Hugo in the basement and they feed him fish heads. <laughs> Only it's Joe Rogan. <laughs> God, I've never oh, seen Tia. that. But what a visual. Tia, what comics have you been reading? We've got to get I'm into sorry. this. <laughs> That's I'm okay. Um, it's spooky season. Yay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so I read Chilling Adventures Presents Weirder Mysteries, which like my attention span has been like in and out the past couple of years. And so I love when there's these like cool little one shot anthologies of short stories. There's just enough to be kind of like fun and digestible, but not, you know, so much that you have to like pay attention to a lot. It's just very it's like TikTok, but a comic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so this one has work by Frank Thierry, Joanne Starr, Ron Robbins. I'm just like reading the list because there's always a lot of people on these. Um, the art mm-hmm. is Juan Bobillo and uh, Ryan Jampol and Federico Sabatini. I don't watch Riverdale regularly as some of us do, but I feel like this has big Riverdale vibes in the sense that like a bunch of weird shit happens. Nothing phases anybody. Betty's just like, what up? Are you a werewolf? Are you an alien? Are you a vampire? Probably one or all three. And they're, everyone's just like, Betty, please. We're trying to eat. Right? Like, no one cares. <laughs> it's, it's very, Riverdale is, if anything, marked by its pronounced lack of stakes. Like, yeah. crazy <laughs> shit happens. And they're just like, anyways exactly sure exactly but also like i don't blame betty for being paranoid because you can't trust anyone anymore you can't trust anyone like for Mm -hmm. real you're all off my zombie apocalypse team i see you all out there at the mcr show not wearing a mask and claiming that you just have allergies five days later like no you're all the weaklings i don't trust any of you you would all get bitten and lie about it so you're all probably also shape-shifting werewolf aliens And so me and Betty, like, we get it, okay? We get it. This is, I think, the only time that you will ever identify with Betty Cooper's character. I know, right? Enjoy this moment. I know. So then there's another story where they travel back in time to the ancient past of 1995. Oh, so many years ago. Way back in those days, they didn't have the internet. (laughs) No, she said ancient past, and I was like, oh, fuck, did they bring back Archie BC? Because that was a thing. (laughs) (laughs) No way. (laughs) Wait, you've never seen the Caveman Archie comics? No. Oh, my. All right, hold on. Let's see you get through this ancient (laughs) times of 1995 before we talk that far into Archie lore. They encounter their friends, decrepit old parents. um, And look, as much as I'm totally fine with aging... Um, I do forget that for kids now, the 90s are as long ago as the 70s seemed to me mm-hmm. when I was a kid. And that's just wild to think about. Like, I just have to, like, process that for a minute. Re- like, remember how old Led Zeppelin felt in the 90s? Ages. Yes. You know? Yes. And now kids are, like, rediscovering fucking Smashing Pumpkins and Green Day and shit. And I'm just like... <laughs> 
I know. Wow. It's it's bizarre to think that the Aerosmith of the modern day is Smashing Pumpkins and MCR. You know what I mean? It's wild. Anyway, but also like they're they're not wrong. Like that is great music regardless of the era. So yeah, yeah. Oh. Yeah. I heard Smashing Pumpkins on the radio today, and I just thought, God, this singer has a really annoying voice. This is why I don't listen to this band. Billy Corgan is is like drinking a 10% IPA. Like, it's not for everyone, but those who like it really love it. Yeah. Sure. That's a <laughs> totally great fair. But, uh, and, yeah. and it's probably an elder millennial slash Gen Xer. Sure. Yes. Yes, exactly. Um, anyway, so the third story in this is... Uh, incidentally a commentary on aging gracefully which honestly like i said i'm all about that so on the whole all three of these shorts are about identity in a way and how we are perceived which of course Hmm. is the greatest horror of all so good job archie team on this horror anthology oh man (laughs) you know it's 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 always great i feel like when we find stories like this i we've said this a million times on the show um and i know kara you you've already you already got down this path of archie bc like i love that the archie company continues to put out weird stories like this involving their characters because it it's so just like refreshing for folks who just like i need a thing with a property but doesn't have any context or continuity it's just a thing using these familiar tropes and things that i can already understand just from opening on page one it's awesome so awesome yeah mike can i introduce you to archie versus sharknado (laughs) that's that's a one shot you could read how dare you (laughs) no do this to me (laughs) i'm just gonna pass it to kara and she could fill us in on the archie one shots that we should read and also tell us what she read this week yeah that'd be great um hi everybody uh similar to tia this week i choose violence and so i feel like everything i'm gonna say (laughs) is gonna make everybody mad for different reasons this week this week i read and have to highly recommend the latest minions comic mini boss kara kara (laughs) no listen listen to me I I understand that they're the lowest common denominator of capitalism. I understand okay. that this they're... is me frantically googling what the hell is going on. <laughs> I understand that the minions are also the worst representation of boomer culture on Facebook. Uh-huh. I hear I hear all of these things. I understand. Counterpoint: the minions comics are some of the best comics on the market right now. I said it. So Nine one one help! I... I'm scared. <laughs> so so, um the minions comics are like all ages mostly non-verbal slapstick looney tune-esque antics in like one page stories two page stories i think the longest one in this book is is three pages and i have been reading all of the minions comics for as long as they've been coming out because they do them in like french style collections where they're like 50 pages each Mm -hmm. the creative team on minions mini boss is renaud colin and stefan lapousse so you gotta like sorry but like you have a bunch of french creators making a like french style comic book i'm going like yes it's great so i really do like reading the most the most recent minions collection these are published in it feels weird to say in english but in english by titan comics right they don't really speak english they say banana papaya banana papaya no 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 no. (laughs) you have to do it in the anakin voice do it in the anakin voice (laughs) 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 (laughs)
Kara. <laughs> so they papaya. don't speak English. <laughs> they speak like they speak like a minion language that the creator of them made up specifically to be like gibberish, but loosely based off of romance languages. So like if you sure. have even the barest knowledge of any romance languages you'll like pick out some of the words and like there's some english words in there too and of course the banana but um so so this comic is sort of like a companion to the most recent minions movie rise of Gru, Mm -hmm. in which we see Gru as like a kid growing up in the 70s and the minions find him because they want a new evil boss and he basically like adopts them and like hides them in his basement for his first like evil lair away from his mom who miraculously still voiced by julie andrews by the way Mm. okay so this comic like i genuinely think this is like in the same storytelling vein as some of like the looney tunes stuff like before looney tunes had to be like we don't use violence anymore and it's like no no you can still do some fun like outrageous over the top stuff. I have I have a few examples of some of like the weird stuff that they do in this comic that like genuinely made me laugh out loud. So mm-hmm. it's stuff like it's stuff like um the the little minions they get a basketball and they're so excited to play basketball and on the basketball court is a character who is very clearly supposed to be Kareem Abdul-Jabbar signing basketballs for the neighborhood kids who are like clamoring to meet him. And he like picks up this basketball from the minions, signs it, gives it back to them. And they all immediately start crying and trying to scrub his signature off because they just want to play basketball and he's ruined their new ball. (laughs) (laughs) Or or little Gru is standing outside his house and he sees an ice ice cream truck go by and he like points at it and says ice cream. But he doesn't say the word ice cream in a speech bubble because, again, this is mostly like a nonverbal comic. He just has like a little speech bubble with a little ice cream cone in it. Mm -hmm. The minions like they just want to make him happy. So they go after the ice cream truck and you see them like going up to the ice cream truck and then they come back and they're bringing Gru the ice cream display from the top of the ice cream truck. (laughs) Like the three... Or like, um, absolutely my favorite one in this collection was Gru is taking a math test and he it's like a multiplication <laughs> test. So he holds up he, so he holds up a little card that like is asking the minions what six times seven equals, and he like flashes it out the window because they're all sitting outside his classroom and they furiously start like calculating what the answer is. And to send him the answer, they <laughs> fire up a catapult and throw an enormous boulder into the classroom with the number 42 painted on the side of it. <laughs> I, I'm finding some of these comics in Google Image Search, and I understand your delight because they are stupidly adorable. They're so delightful. being minions. Like, if you, if you, if, like, if the thing about the minions that bothers you is their, like, ubiquity or their character design or you don't like the way that they've been animated... I recommend mm-hmm. l- checking out these comics so that you can like kind of see where the appeal is because the comics I think are frankly beautifully illustrated. They've got a great sense of movement. They've got wonderful rich coloring. Like I I do think that they're hugely underrated and every time I pick one up I am just delighted and because they're not bound by the constraints of having to do 
like a 90 minute children's movies and it's just these little like gag vignettes, I really do think they shine in this format and that they should just stop making movies and just do like little shorts or something like the Looney Tunes cartoons. Like that would Mm -hmm, be a better mm -hmm. use of their um, strengths. But uh, I know that there's a bunch of comic strips that are like being dropped from all kinds of newspapers all over the country but it seems like they would be better suited to like comic strips like peanut style yeah could could you imagine opening the sunday funnies and it's just a half sheet of minions comics like i would but they're of that paper mike but that's what i'm saying like but they're of this style and they're actually like good and entertaining that'd be interesting it's it's really funny because i was literally yesterday i went to a farm to go just do like an outdoor farm thing you know and walk through a corn maze with kelly and um the farm maze was minion themed to the point i'm going to post a link or an image of this in the in the discord in a moment um that the actual maze itself had minions on it like there were minions throughout the thing in these little cart or like these wooden cutouts that they had painted and their the like actual maze itself was minions um, they were leaning very hard into the idea that it was a minions maze, like to the point that at the end you get to stand by a sign that said, "I completed the Von Thumbs minions corn maze." It's it's uh, they're all over the place. So this is a this is a serendipitous, I guess, that now I should go read the minions comics, right? Yeah, you can't escape it. You might as well read the best possible version. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, I guess for me this week, I'll just just I did not read anything. That is of the season. I've got to give my review of Vanish really quick because I did talk about it last week on the show. I decided to see if the hype was real for the new Donny Cates, Ryan Stegman, J.P. Mayer, Sonia Oback, and John J. Hill uh, <laughs> uh, comic book that came out. Danny is threatening me in the chat. He says, tread lightly. Um, well, I'll give you a quick summary in case you missed last week's episode. Oliver Harrison was a mythical hero who slayed the greatest threat to his realm before even hitting puberty. But that was then. Um, then he has after he grew up his life sucks but the baddies of his past are back and he has no choice but to get back into the game using his magical powers i will say i gave this a solid three out of five on the comiXology app um, when i read it uh i okay superhero comics that are okay is pretty much what you can expect from image comics at this point uh see also spawn radiant black they are superhero books they try to approach superhero stories in different ways and you know i think that ultimately like i'm not the audience for quote gritty fucked up guy decides he has to be even darker than his darkest darkness you know like this is why spawn was never my thing this is why some of those super dark batman stories aren't for me you know anytime we twist really hard into like let's be grim and gritty and the darkest of whatever like i find that to be just either overplayed or just not as impressive as maybe the author or the creators were getting at like this is why johnny cates and ryan stegman's null stuff never worked the venom stuff didn't really work for me i tried a couple of issues just not my thing i think overall there's some smidgens of interesting stuff in this book like i gave it a three out of five so it's not a bad book by any means um i think there's a really interesting backstory in like a magic school gone bad with a former savior dirt turned dirt bag the art in this book is pretty solid i mean stegman and mayor and Obak, they do like some of the more interesting, beautiful, like superhero stuff that I've seen in a long time. Um, lots of dark, gritty cross hatching and stuff, too, which is not unexpected. But um, 
it's a really, really gorgeous book. Like there are some two page spreads in this that are just mind blowing to look at. And I mean, I'm looking at it on an iPad, but like I have to imagine like even looking at it on paper, these things are really, really impressive. Um, it reminds me a lot of the more impressive side of the spawn stuff. I think some of the things I've seen from Greg Capullo also kind of hit this same vein of just being incredibly impressive pieces of art. They're just not the thing that I, I think about being like super cool and super amazing that I want to own and physically have and look at all day. So like while this book looks really good, like I, I can respect it. I just don't think it's totally my thing. Um, I'm probably not going to check out the next issue of this series, but I will likely check out the trade when it hits Hoopla because I think that there are some seeds at the beginning of this book that are interesting, but the constant reflection back on the I've got to do the worst thing I've ever like. There's just so much. I don't know. It feels so try hard. Like I get you're trying to be dark and grim and gritty. You can do that without the character constantly being like mad. I don't know. It's it's really wild. And you're going to you're going to shit your pants because when I pick my when I talk about my comic pick for this upcoming week, you're going to be mad. But um either way, I'm uh I don't know. I this ultimately comes down to the decision that I need to make of dropping books that I don't enjoy because I'm complaining about this. I'm not going to read the next one. But at the same time, I don't drop other books that I just don't really care for. And yet I read the first couple of issues and now I'm like, well, I got to read it to the end at least. That's not a good reason to keep reading books. So that's just a reminder for me. Don't attack me, Mike. Uh, uh, you know, we. I think we all have this problem sometimes, right? You know, but, I was um, thinking about that recently because I actually am the opposite. Like, I have no sunk cost guilt whatsoever. My, I am halfway out sure. the door in literally everything that I do. <laughs> I mean, there's. I respect that. Do you know? Because I feel like I'm the opposite. If I try a book, I've at least got to try the first arc. You know, I, I do that that thing um, when really I should say I don't really care for this number one drop it like I never should have continued reading Radiant Black and here I am 14 issues later where that book goes from like really good comic to absolute garbage every other week and it's really hard to keep you know to drop a book that consistently hits as much as it misses that's the really weird thing so I'm I'm good just reading the first volume of Radiant Black and never thinking about it again oh you thought the first volume was good I like (laughs) well okay I read I read it and I was like, oh, I see why people are like buzzing about this. Yeah, there is there is a hype to it, right? Like you totally can feel that. And it's so funny because as the story goes on, that second arc has some of the best superhero comics I've read in a long time and some of the worst superhero comics I've read in a long time. It's bizarre. It's like Kyle Higgins for all of his like everything that he's done well with Mighty Morphin Power Rangers and all this other stuff. It's like he just was had bad months and when he or bad weeks when he was writing this book and then really good weeks. So I don't know. I it's, it's bizarre. I would almost say if you can get it without having to pay for it through like a hoopla or whatever, like check out volume two, but don't feel like it's a must read. That's, that's my recommendation on that. Okay. That's fair. One other book I want to talk about real quick before we we get into um, top of our pile. Um, I did read Time Before Time, number 16. This is uh, Declan Shelby and Rory McConville back on writing together. Eric Zawadzki on art with colors by Chris O'Halloran, uh, letters by Hassan Otsmani Elhow. I mean, this is one of my favorite books, so I'm really biased. And then, that being said, I'm not going to spoil anything for this series. We're pretty far along in a pretty complex storyline that I think has been executed really well um, and super well paced with like really smart breaks to add more flavor to the ongoing, really interesting story already. Um, I love how this book is suspenseful, low-fi, low sci-fi. It's It's got plenty of twists and turns all the while um, playing with its core concept of time travel without falling prey to tropes, without 
without falling into like uninspired tropes like there's going to be tropes when it comes to time travel and things that just exist from like the zeitgeist of science fiction but i feel like time before time sidesteps a lot of that in order to use bits and pieces of those tropes without making their whole story about doctor who style tropes or you know like you can't change the past blah 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 like there's none of that the story is about tetsuo as a character rather than just like the the intricacies of time travel itself. I, I find it really smart the way that Shelby and McConville have written this book. Um, and the beauty of a series like this, um, and I think some other solid image ongoings like Farmhand and Department of Truth, is that you never know where the final arc is, it, when it's going to be coming. Um, when you're on a series like Time Before Time, 16 issues in, could this be the last arc you don't know like the story is at a point that it could end at this arc or they could keep going because they have other threads that they could pull on that they've hinted at or have only slightly wrapped up i I like this idea of like could this book go on forever but i don't really want it to and i think mcconville and shelby have found themselves in a perfect sweet spot as if they of if they ended it now everyone would be happy if they kept going for another 16 issues everyone would be happy and i i really have to applaud them for doing such a good job of this series. Like I'm missing Joe Palmer's art on this series. He was the original artist that started the book, um, but not knowing why anything's happening behind the scenes, this could be like a temporary sidestep in order to tell the arc a certain way. This book has done a really good job of changing artists with intent. So when they want to do like a side story about a bunch of different characters, we get a different artist to focus on those characters. So when we come back to the uh, Joe Palmer on the series, we know that we're back in the main storyline. Now, Eric Zawadzki is on the current arc that's telling the main storyline, but that could be for a specific reason, which I'm not going to go into because of spoilers. But either way, the thing that I res- I really love about this book is that they found pencilers from Palmer to Zawadzki, PJ Holden to Ron Salas um, that keep a consistent feel to the book. And I will say that's likely because of the amazing color work by Chris O'Halloran. But nonetheless, like the, the artists or the pencilers that they've picked for this book have kept the same vibe. And I know that that's really hard to do but somehow they've they've managed to do it. even when shelby stepped in to do a one shot it all felt the same so it's probably more chris o'halloran than anything else but overall i just love this book um this is this is like my go-to suggestion for people when i don't think they'll vibe with department of truth <laughs> um so yeah I, I fucking love time before time and if you're not reading it i'm sorry but you've made a mistake so <sighs> anyways let's uh let's talk about comics on the top of our pile and let's see what what you're reading next Kara Tia I'm excited to hear what you both have upcoming on your plate so let's just dive into it and uh we'll start with you Kara what's what's on the top of your pile Mike has chosen me to go first for top of my pile because I tried to be a little weasel and get out of picking <laughs> one and he called me out before the show and made me write down a name <laughs> listen what happens before we hit record stays before we hit record okay Kara (laughs) okay I'll give my pick now and then I'll uh tack on some additional thoughts after Tia shares her pick and I will also also take this opportunity Michael to ask if you have an x-men book that I should read because I realized recording my baseball special with Renee Mm -hmm. that I don't actually have like I've read some x-men stuff but I read like the run that was briefly going on where like the team was all ladies around the time the storm comic was being published mm. and like yeah, yeah. jubilee was a vampire mom which okay. should have been more yeah. interesting than it was frankly and well that's that's a whole other discussion but yeah <laughs> so, I'll, let, what 
tell us about your pick and I'll I'll meander in my mind a little bit. Yeah, as, yeah. As, as I you, don't need something right things. now. I just figure you're the best possible person to ask. And if any listeners have an X-Men comic that I should read that is not Age of Apocalypse, because I already read that. <laughs> don't want to We're read. not talking X-Men classics. We're talking actual good comic books. Yeah. Somebody tell me something to read. And if you tell me the Joss Whedon run, I'll just die. So don't. <laughs> Kira, I've already got my pick. We'll get into it okay. before we'll, right. once we get after the break. How about so, that? So once I actually put my title down, I just immediately started laughing because apparently this title is funny. It is Uncle Scrooge, The Golden Nugget Boat by Carl Barks. <laughs> he laughed again. What is that title? What does that even mean? <laughs> Look, it's a boat full of golden nuggets or it's a <laughs> golden boat full of chicken nuggets i don't know right, like, right. i haven't read the okay. book yet so. okay 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 all right this is continuing my journey into the excellent fantagraphics editions of classic disney comics so mm-hmm. a lot of people who are into like mid-century comics like are of the general opinion that Karl Barks is one of the best comic artists of the 20th century like even if you don't like disney even if you don't like like that whole thing it is pretty undeniable that carl barks is one of the most talented visual storytellers of the comic book medium and so fantagraphics has been publishing this really lovely hardcover collection of his comics especially the he he created a lot of the duck characters that if you've seen an episode of ducktales you know and love um like mm-hmm. carl barks created the character of uncle scrooge that was later than uh a cartoon character on the animation side of things. And basically like I've talked about these comics before. They're lovely because the ducks are basically humans, except that they're ducks. Like they're going on adventures. They, the stories honestly feel like kind of Tintin adjacent to me yeah, because they're like these sort of adventure adventure format comics, like especially the uncle Scrooge ones because he is the richest duck. So he's just like, I want to go treasure hunting. So it's like, if you like the genre (laughs) Of stories that are like Indiana Jones, where he's like, I'm an archaeologist. And you're like, you, sir, are the worst archaeologist. This mm-hmm. is very like rich dude does what he wants, which in modern parlance, we're like, ew. But at the time, it was like, oh, that's so cool. I would love to have a swimming pool full of gold that I could swim in. <laughs> as you do. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so the Golden Nugget Boat is the most recent volume of this collection that Fantagraphics has published. And it mm-hmm. introduces the character Magica Dispel, who, if you saw the uh, DuckTales, either the original show or the reboot, which if you haven't seen the reboot, prioritize that immediately because it's some of the best television of the last decade. I said it. And I would like to see this character's origin story and see the difference between the show and the comic book character. So that's why I purchased this book. It, these these hardcover formats are sort of like collections of stories because again, these, these comics were like mid-century Disney comics. So they were being published in floppies and maybe there would be like two or three stories mm-hmm. in like 30 pages of books. So they're like little nuggets of stories, if you All will. Right. So, okay. <laughs> so, sorry, that one was a stretch. So I'm excited to, I'm excited to, uh, to read this book. Um, I pre-ordered it a few months ago from Fanographics, which uh, if you are not familiar, Fanographics does do like pre-order sales more or less every season where they're like, pre-order this book and we'll give you like 20% off. I'm like, okay. So that's uh, well, that, that's my pitch. Support Fanographics. Interesting. 
Interesting. I'm I'm look I just Googled uh, Magica Dispel and I see that Catherine Tate did her voice most recently, which is very exciting. Because I like Catherine Tate. But uh Tia, what about you? What are you excited for? What's on the top of your pile? Well, when I was finished reading the um horror art the horror anthology from Archie, uh there was an ad in the back for the chilling adventures of Salem. Oh my god. That's going to come cool. out October 12th, which I know is a few weeks away, but I still felt warranted discussion because cat. <laughs> cat. Not yes. only that, but a magical cat. Magical cats. The I mean, cover that they're using for this book is insane. It's so good. So it's going to be um by Colin Bunn and Dan Shaning and uh it promises to be like an old 80s horror pulp paperback style one shot cool and uh there's a quote from cullen bunn uh, from horrornewsnetwork.net where he says he wanted to lean into the charm of sabrina's cat in telling this tale and also didn't want to forget about like the humorous origins but wanted to take those elements to a really dark place so salem is a talking cat yes but he's devious and sneaky and ruthless in the pursuit of his goals and anti-hero and i'm like okay so basically all cats got it <laughs> yeah. cats because cats are ridiculous but also devious and sneaky and ruthless in the pursuit of their goals Am I going to ruin this for you by telling you that Salem is actually a human trapped in a cat's body? No, I know that that's true, but all cats are humans trapped in a cat's body, so it's fine. (laughs) The truth, finally. Finally revealed on I Read Comic Books today. (laughs) You are all talking about lizard people, but you really had to worry about the people cats. The people cats. Oh, man. Well... That sounds a little like really fun. Honestly, I didn't know that that was coming out and I am definitely going to snag a copy of that because right? why not? It's Cullen Bunn. Like Cullen Bunn knows how to do horror, but also this is a ridiculous concept. So I'm I'm in for it. Support the cats. I'm going to add in some Archie horror notes here. So there's an Archie holiday special coming up in a couple months that the cover mm-hmm. of which is just like the classic Archie Betty Veronica triangle, but Betty and Veronica are kissing like a skull with a little tuft of red hair on top of it. So it's just like, you know, Archie comics is like, Oh, horror is the moneymaker. We're a horror comics publisher now. So they do these different variations of things. And like, it's spooky season. I should be reading more Archie horror. Like I never actually, here's, here's my big confession. I never actually got around to reading Jughead, the hunger because I thought it was, I did. I know I didn't, I thought it was a cannibalism book and I had no interest in that. But then Mm -hmm. while reading about other upcoming stories, I realized it's a werewolf book and that's that's much more my line. I can do that. (laughs) Or like I never wolves eating people. That's okay, But humans eating people. No way. Look, I can't genuinely can't remember if I read the Vampironica stories where they're basically like Mm. it's Vampirella. It's Veronica because I you know what it was. I did read the crossover between Betty and Veronica and Vampirella like that was a comic book I did read, but I'd never read the Mm -hmm. Vampironica one anyway. So there's just like a whole world that I can dive into. And Tia's book reading picks sparked that. And uh, now I know what I can um, be getting into for October. I mean, Jughead the Hunger is a confusing title because isn't the film The Hunger about vampires? I guess it's just any kind of (laughs) non-normal food-based appetite. (laughs) 
<laughs> you can make it sound sinister by being like the hunger. Right. Oh my god, somebody needs to do a humorous Archie horror series about what you just described. Only do it in the style of that UK show about people who eat weird stuff. Like there's that, that lady fun. who would only eat French fries. That's me. That's me, Tia. <laughs> I only eat <laughs> do it like a TLC reality show style. But like actually use the actors from Riverdale to do oh it. My God. Right. <laughs> Except for the one who just went to jail for murdering his Okay, mom. he was in like I, literally two episodes. He's and it's not main cast. Un- he's not main cast. He's a little obnoxious of all the media to just be like Riverdale actor. I was like, he was on there for like a second. But okay, go Let's off. Let's pull up his IMDb and find the most recent thing that he was on so that we can put it in the title. Um <laughs> well, for me this week, uh, I guess before I get into my pick, we've got some folks hanging out with us on Discord. Danny is going to be reading. Uh, this is what's on the top of their pile, I should say. Danny's going to be reading Hell is a Squared Circle number one from Aftershock. Paul G is going to be reading Barry Windsor Smith's Monsters, which has been on my forever to read list since it came out. And Stephanie is going to be reading Fade Out Volume 1 to continue their journey through all of the Brubaker and Phillips runs. So I'm, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that because the Fade Out to me is one of their less impressive books. Not to say that it's not impressive, but it is the least impressive of their other stuff. So curious to hear your thoughts on that. But for me this week, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to fight you on that. And then I realized I could not tell you a single thing about the fade out. I was like, wait, the Mm. fade out was good. I, I, that is, I can't remember anything about it. So it's not as good as I thought. You know, to to not spoil it for, for Stephanie. I mean, we can talk about it in the break, but there's some like, icky moments in that book that i'm like i know you want to talk about old hollywood but you also didn't necessarily have to do this um it's a whole other discussion but anyways my my pick for this week or i guess the top of my pile for this week is old dog number one this is written and drawn by declan shelby with letters by clayton coles i mean what's better than declan writing about big old dudes you know bog bog body savage town you can't go wrong which is really unfortunate because that's exactly what vanish number one was about but i just don't really think i like Downey cates's writing so the synopsis here is old dog follows jacqueline's a once a once promising cia operative on the eve of retirement looking back at a failed career he is tasked with one final mission that goes horribly wrong he wakes years later to a changed world and even deeper changes within him when a shadowy group offers lynch a second chance for a life at adventure he finds himself paired with the last person he could ever imagine in order to adjust this old dog will have to learn some new tricks like this is going to be an angry man gets angry about change which is pretty much kind of bullshit that makes an easy comic to read like so we'll see um all, all in one package deal from shelby should be interesting because in his previous works that he's done as writing he's usually had an artist um so i'll decide if this should have been an ogn or not more to come next week i guess after i read it but this is one of those things where i'm like why didn't you just make an ogn who knows but maybe i don't know i like shelby's writing clearly time before time one of my favorite books right now so i'm hoping that this is a pretty good one the cover looks aggressive as hell so it should be fun but yeah i guess we'll take a quick break here uh and talk about a revisit a topic from episode 48 of I Read Comic Books. It's more of a title than anything, but I think Tia mentioned it in the episode on her very first episode. Sexy bad boys, are they bad? <laughs> Sexy bad babies, who are they and why do we love them so much? So we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to talk about that after. <laughs> we'll be right back.
today on I Read Comic Books, we're going to be talking about, or maybe asking a question, um, sexy bad boys, are they bad? This is a... Uh, <laughs> This is a revisit from episode 48, like I said before the break. Way, way, way back in the day, it was me and Tia and Xander on the episode. Uh, I don't think the episode was actually about sexy bad babies, but uh, it was brought up enough that, you know, it warranted the title. So I guess, Tia, could you give us a little bit of a, a breakdown as to what exactly we mean by like sexy bad babies or sexy bad boys, you know, bad boys and all that kind of stuff that maybe brings up a lot of different pictures for people. What are we talking about here today? Yes. Yes. Okay. And I actually just recently excavated a bunch of uh, like discourse on this that I wrote on my Tumblr about Baphomet and the Wicked and the Divine. And Ooh. like, I really break it down and I'm trying to find if I find the links to those posts again. I'll drop them in the show notes. But basically, these are boys who are shitheads and they're bad and they're mean and they don't give a fuck. And women really like that about them because of a few reasons. Uh, if you can make them like you, then you're special, right? Mm -hmm. Um, also you can fix them and soothe their tragic backstory, Lies. which gives you a lot of power. <laughs> uh -huh. And then also the third thing, which I think is not talked about as much as the first two. And you even ask in the show notes, are there sexy, bad girls? No, there are not because mm. to be a sexy, bad girl is inherently political, which mm. means that you inherently give a shit but the one of the foundational traits of the sexy bad boy is that he does not give a shit and so that is an appealing thing that women cannot have and so by possessing the sexy bad boy you by proxy get to experience that don't give a fuckness mm -hmm. as he protects you from the consequences of his, if that makes sense. Of course, that's Absolutely. all a fantasy. Like that never actually right, right. plays out that way. <laughs> right. um, we're, we're talking yeah, about in fiction. It, like Padme <laughs> Amidala has entered the chat. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Like, I want to make it extremely clear as to all the listeners that the people that we're describing would be terrible in real life. And you should never, ever, ever want to be in a relationship with somebody like this because they will not change. You cannot fix them. And this Go to is... Therapy. Like, go to therapy. This is the kind of thing that leads to, like, abuse dynamics in some situations. But in fiction, escapism. Right. Right. And these, are, and these are, to be clear again, once more for the listeners, you should not be emulating these people. No. <laughs> like, we're listing, I think we're going to talk about a lot of comic book and, and TV characters and movie characters and things that, that, that show these traits, but in real life, they are not good things. They are attractive in fiction because of the like control over it. And Tia, care, I'm sure you have better words for this than I do. But like because there is like the you are you are choosing to consume these things. You are like willingly in, in, in like engaging in this fiction or whatever. It's not as harmful as people in real life doing these like, things no, no, where there is like no way to why, control them. Right. Like, why do you think? The only reason the book publishing industry still exists is because romance novels sell like hotcakes. We don't actually right. want all of these things to happen, but it's fun to read about. Right. Well, it right. serves a purpose because it lets you explore those parts of yourself, right? The power dynamics and, and the things that are unavailable to you in real life as a woman. Mm. 
it's like a safe space to to explore the darkness like there's a reason why <laughs> women are the main audience for yaoi and doujinshi that is predominantly a lot of gay couples and like why a lot of shipping is with gay couples mm-hmm. typically man male male yeah, or yeah. female because female then, right because then there's like an an inherent equality to the power dynamic between them mm-hmm that just does not exist. And I also think that there's like a really um, appealing way that like everyone, like look, take Kylo Ren for an example. Let's, let's take Kylo Ren. For I know, an right? <laughs> Why everyone, is Kylo Ren a bad boy to you? Well, I mean, because he, all the murder, but like, <laughs> and the temper tantrums. <laughs> I would say like, the temper tantrums more than the murder. <laughs> Like, you Uh can be a murderer and not be a sexy bad boy. Sure. I mean, but in fiction, you get that a lot, right? Like, and there's like, there's such a spectrum of them. But everyone around Kylo Ren bends over backwards to to take care of him, if you think about it. Mm -hmm. Even Um, General Hux. Especially General Hux. Especially General Hux. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like... So, so so yeah, I think that the re- one of the main reasons why women love sexy bad babies is partly because it gives them power to feel loved by them, and the other reason is because it lets them occupy this space that is like politically not available to them. Mm. And so, you know, as we're as we're thinking about a lot of these characters, I mean, like, I think T- you've gotten in your notes here. There is a scale. <laughs> Could you explain the scale that you've gotten for these types of characters? <laughs> the scale from I can fix him to you murdered how many younglings? <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm and I got of this. <laughs> right. Why do I guess what where what is this this scale for? I guess because like we said, there's a difference between just being like a cold hearted murderer in a story and being like a hunk who's also killed a bunch of people and for some reason that is attractive versus just like you know, someone with a gun, you know, shooting people, you know, um, where does that line get drawn? I mean, obviously, the context of the fiction in the story, you know, helps a lot. But uh, still, like, I, we have this scale. How do you where do we rate people? I have a comic book example that explores the, a, a nuance around this, if you will. So yeah. yeah. Uh, all right. So <laughs> let's hop over to the Batverse people. Because please, Batman, should be a sexy bad boy, but is not. Batman is possibly one of the least sexy characters in the DC universe. That is so true. Right. But what about the Michael Janin drawings? Come on. He is <laughs> anyways, anyways. so deeply unsexy. Like, I cannot... mm. <laughs> okay. And then we contrast him with um, the second Robin, Jason Todd. Not when he was Robin. He was like the troubled kid and Batman like, found him on the streets when he was trying to steal tires off the Batmobile. Like that's how he found Jason Todd and was like, I'm going to take this troubled youth and turn him into a hero. And then the Joker murdered him because of one Mm -hmm. dude who had auto dial on his phone in the eighties. Anyway. So Jason Todd got resurrected in the mid two thousands as the red hood and got kind of his own identity. Like Dick Grayson got Nightwing as his own identity and the red hood Jason Todd version like showed up to like, murder people and make batman notice him senpai notice me and Mm -hmm. jason todd was like i wear a leather jacket and ride a motorcycle and i'm tough and angry and stuff and literally all of my friends who were girls at the time who read comic books 
and liked the bad boy archetype were like swooning over Jason Todd. I'm actually a poser on this episode because I actually don't really get that into the bad boy archetype. I'm just here to support okay. Tia. <laughs> but, okay. like, but like it's like I, I enjoy reading about the sexy bad boy in the in the way that I really enjoy reading things that are like super genre specific and super tropey but I'm not like <gasps> swoon over the bad guy like I had a crush on agent Coulson in the Avengers movies like Can't I am care. about <laughs> as like um. like normal boy gold gold-hearted sense of humor as you can get but like i think we're gonna have to stop recording and so, come back with someone else no no but like i love i love i love the character type because like once you know what type you're dealing with you kind of know what story you're in and it's just sure. like tropey romance stuff is so crazy anyway so jason todd is like totally like would have been a sort of byronic anti-hero if he was in anything other than a batman comic book so mm. but like Again, in that same in that same bat family, you have sexy bad boy Jason Todd. I can fix him. Look at him. He's wearing a leather jacket. He just punched someone. He has so many feelings. He's so angry. Oh, and so, <laughs> contrast with Batman, where you're just like this billionaire dude who has issues is not attractive. Why? <laughs> Why can't they mm -hmm. make him attractive? So he's, I think it's he's too like he's too paternal. You know what I mean? Like, like he he is a self insert for your dad. I think but we all Batman, have daddy like, I don't think... issues. So like, right, right, right. <laughs> we should. Okay, love well, that. I guess if you have daddy issues, maybe that's a totally different thing. I mean, like, um, look at look at the. Okay, I'm going to talk about Rings of Power here for a second, but like, they literally call him Lord Father. Come on, right? right. Come on, the Ao3 tag writes itself. Wait, is this Star Wars or Rings of Power? Rings of Power. Okay. I mean, we could also be talking about Star Wars. We could also be yeah, I mean, Darth Father at the same time, right? I'm really trying to get Lord Daddy as a tag for Adair content on Tumblr off the ground. <laughs> I love it. I would, you know, now that we brought up Star Wars several times, I actually don't think Anakin slash Darth Vader is sexy. I think Kylo Ren is sexy. No, Anakin's not sexy. He's too petulant. Yeah, Anakin is not a right. sexy bad boy. Like, <laughs> but this is and this is where the scale comes in, right? Yeah, because. On paper, looking at these characters, they kind of fit the same niche in a in like a simple way. But when you actually evaluate the characters from like all of the work that is there, Anakin goes turns into this like you said this petulant dude. Whereas Kylo Ren continues to be this like broken whiny dude that doesn't actually feel doesn't actually step completely into I'm just a murderer for the sake of murdering, um, which I in from I get from what I'm understanding is the more attractive side of things. I don't know. So here's here's the thing. Uh, I think that it has to do with the way that they interact with their respective female leads, because yeah. Anakin is always going to be the little like child compared to Padme in their dynamic. Like I just can never mm -hmm. unsee that. Whereas. Um, the way that Ray and and I know the Ray like don't come for me. Raylo haters like just calm down but like the way that ray and kylo ren have their dynamic where there it is more of a give and take like there are moments of equality or like the power shifts from over to her sometimes like mm -hmm. she mm -hmm. like like you know the most spoilers for the crybabies who still haven't seen a movie that's like ten thousand years old but like <laughs> you know the way that there are specific ways that she does fix him and she does save him and we get to see that right 
whereas Padme totally fails at that, right? Like mm-hmm. he objectifies her to mm-hmm. murder the younglings, but she never saves him. So we never get the payoff of his being a sexy bad baby. Mm. Like they, if they had played uh, the biggest, there are so many problems with the prequels, which I've discussed on this show many times, but in this particular conversation the thing that didn't work about the star wars prequel movies is that anakin and padme did not make sense as a relationship they didn't really talk about it they glossed over all the parts that would have made it compelling and like added to this sexy bad boy dynamic like you never really see why he's essentially like giving up this entire piece of his identity to like furtively be married to this woman mm-hmm. like he's like they never really talk about that and if they had made the focus like the romance and been like this man is literally willing to dissolve the galaxy <laughs> for for the love of this woman like that would have been a very different film because it was yeah. never for Padme he has mommy issues and it was for his mother the whole time I mean I also think Tia to your point if if Anakin if they had Again, it's it's literally came down to casting. If they had cast an older actor as young Anakin to make them almost seem like they were the same age, it wouldn't have been as weird. Had to, but yeah. instead, we have this Natalie Portman who's like what in her twenties yeah. in the first movie. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And well, then we've got this twelve-year-old uh, Jake Lloyd. Anakin is nine, and Padme is fourteen when they first meet. Right. <laughs> I'm sorry, but, but they've been like that work. But if they had if they had been fourteen and fourteen, yeah. right? Like. And then they don't see each other for a decade and then they come back and then suddenly it's like, then we're talking about a totally different romantic story, right? Sure. Like these, these, this, this spark that they had as children and then they grow up to adult, like it, it makes sense there. I, I think the age difference from 14 to nine is very, <laughs> it's yeah, profound. There's a quote that I don't remember where I read it and I'm sorry to the person who uh, coined it, but it goes, a hero will save you, will sacrifice you to save the world. A villain will sacrifice the world to save you. And Ooh. I think what ha- happens with where like Anakin breaks down as the sexy bad baby is that he doesn't save her. He actually kills mm-hmm. her. Oh mm-hmm. yeah. That's a, uh, yeah. yeah, very big, very big, uh, line through that character on this list well you know you were talking about this originally in terms of your like analysis about baphomet as a character that's a comic book character will you tell the listeners Mm. at home about the wicked and the divine god it's been so long why is baphomet a great sexy bad boy well because he is really just a sad boy underneath his badness yeah i i think gillen Kieran Gillen does a great job of writing that character where he he wants so badly to be the bad boy, right? When when we finally get moments with him alone, he is just this fragile little thing. But then coming out of those moments, he has to go back to putting on this show of who he is. You know, I think that is one of the more compelling pieces of Wicked and Divine and other stories that use this type of of character where you get moments where they are not that person. You get to see a little bit behind that that veneer or that veil that they've put up you understand who they are now that doesn't necessarily redeem them you know because they usually these types of characters typically commit atrocities but at the same time 
from like the perspective of reading that you actually get to see a little bit who they are and that adds to this like allure of these types of characters right the other thing with baphomet is that he's really defined like baphomet and morgan or cameron and marion um as they are as people like they're really defined in the story by their relationship to each other they have a really Mm -hmm. fucked up relationship and they both really thrive on that because what they they both feel kind of banal they both feel un, like they're not special they both feel like there's just nothing really to them so they really go hard on the goth that like persona and their relationship is really dramatic because it's this grand stage production they don't actually have really any emotional intimacy which you see in the book like Marion had had a childhood illness that she never t- shared with him until mm-hmm. he's having a cr- an emotional crisis. And then she brings it up as a way to like pull him back in close to her, like as a tool of manipulation. So mm-hmm. sexy, bad babiness, I think like definitely exists in a dynamic where it takes two. Mm. I, I also want to take this opportunity since we've been saying like, Oh, and they have like the one like emotional moment and you feel like drawn to them again. I'm like, Yes, this is a textbook like abusive relationship dynamic where oh, yeah. you keep telling yourself, yeah. "Oh, but the one good thing, therefore all of the bad things are fine. They're not fine. They are not fine. Stop falling for the one good thing." Listen, I learned this the very hard way in high school and also like last year that when men are dark and brooding and quiet, it's not cuz they're thinking deep thoughts. There's literally no thoughts behind those eyes, like none. <laughs> Let's There's talk none. about Edward Cullen. <laughs> <laughs> but, we got but, there, folks. But what I think that goes back to what I was saying that like it takes two to create this dynamic because we as women mm-hmm. look at them and we create these like really rich inner worlds that rather than owning because we made them up, we mm-hmm. assign them to the sexy bad baby who is less constrained by the political position of being woman. Ooh. Like, so we just give it all away to them and they don't deserve it and they have nothing in there. Like they're basically just these like self-insert characters who play with gender, but they're really us. They don't talk about their feelings. And so then when they punch stuff or murder younglings, we're like, oh, they're expressing their feelings. No, there's no thoughts in there. None. This is you're just explained why I like The Witcher so much. Witcher season <laughs> one. Henry Cable's just <laughs> grunting. Mm-hmm. Oh. Um, no, I, I brought up I brought up Edward Cullen, first of all, because there is a Twilight manga. Therefore, he counts as a comic book character. Right. Second right. of all, because the whole like, you know, Tia talking about when you don't have a an awareness of the inner self, you can just kind of project whatever you want. So almost like an interesting dynamic flip of that, like Edward Cullen is attracted to Bella Swan because he can't read her thoughts. Yes. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like that, that that attractiveness exists because he can't manipulate her. Right. No, because he's just like, well, she then becomes whatever he wants her to be, because anything she doesn't like actively communicate to him, he just has no Mm. idea what's going on in there. And she does have the communication skills of a of a teenage boy. It's true. I was going to say a plank of wood, but you were so <laughs> Same <generous>. thing. <laughs> but we repeat ourselves. We're going to get so much yeah. hate mail from men. Look, listen, I'm so, I'm not even going to apologize. Own it. Okay. Like we're on to you. <laughs> and listen, we love you anyway. Right. So like, you know, take some heart, but just like do some work. I mean, I, yeah. when thinking about this episode topic, I was like, oh my God, this is just going to like bring out the people in the woodwork who are just like, 
girls only want sexy bad boys and I don't know why I'm a nice guy. Why won't they like me? Meh. <laughs> Like, that's not the point. We don't actually like these guys in real life. Also, you're not that nice. <laughs> right. Oh. Yeah, I mean, th- this this gets into, like, a whole other, other uh, side of things of, like, <sighs> self-identifying as a nice guy, but, like, still holding on to your problematic thought patterns and stuff. Um, just because you do a nice thing doesn't mean that you're necessarily a nice person. Um, you don't... It's a... It, that's a whole other thing. I have a thought. Is... Is... This is not to bring everything back to the X-Men and steal Mike's thunder on Please. this episode. But um, I personally have always considered Gambit to be in the sexy bad boy yes, category. Gambit is a great sexy bad boy. I mean, I didn't want to make it all about me this episode. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, he, he is. I totally agree. Totally. I, I would love to hear your thoughts before I take over this conversation unintentionally. Well, well it's what Tia was talking about of in a lot of ways like the the sexy bad boy is kind of in a romance dynamic with another character and the gambit Mm -hmm. rogue tension like i don't even know a lot about it but i know that that's a sexy bad boy dynamic Mm -hmm. Hundred percent. i mean yeah it's 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 the same thing as the as the edward cullen bella thing right where gambit is a isn't it a a seductive man who is and i'm not saying that that's his whole character but that is a thing that he is dating women or has been with many women and all that stuff and it's this it's playing off this idea that he is a he's a player who can get any woman that he wants you know in heavy quotes but then when it comes to rogue there is this mutual attraction between the two of them but there's this physical limitation between the two of them that like if they try to be intimate in any capacity, it could kill them. Therefore, it makes the relationship even stronger or like lustier. It's not strong, but it's lustier, right? Because there's this forbidden thing that you can't do lest you literally die, right? And what is more lusty than the potential of death? <laughs> but also <laughs> you know? it goes back um, to the psychological thing that we were talking about where you can just self-insert any fantasy you have about the person because you will never know the truth about them. Exactly. Exactly. And I mean, that is <clears throat> explored more in, in on many comics. I think that Kelly Thompson's uh, Rogue and Gambit series is probably the perfect Rogue and Gambit story that you could ever read. I don't care what anyone says. I think she does a great job of nailing their relationship dynamic when they have the opportunity to actually be together. They have to overcome that, like, I thought about you this way for so long, you know, bit of their relationship and actually see if it can work. And if it can work, like, what are the, you know, issues that you have to overcome after that it's 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 a fucking great book um but yeah i mean gambit is that character and i think he's been written that way for a really long time less so more recently because i think that that character trope comes with a lot of really problematic things um and i think marvel's trying to lean a a different direction with that character and make him more of a thief and less of a ladies man you know stealing hearts I was gonna say that's kind of a loss like they should really just give him to a romance author and let her go crazy it just proves that the Marvel like top brass does not know how to attract audiences outside of themselves no no hold on a second they have replaced Gambit's playboy nature with Dokken who is Wolverine's or Dakin I don't know how you say his name I say Dokken Wolverine's son who is this like bisexual uh i i I was gonna say maniac that's not the right word but he is definitely constantly lusting after men and women all throughout the comics like he shows up in what we want that's not this thing that's not this thing i guess i guess i guess (laughs) because i guess it's a different thing yeah there is there is less of a that's james bond that's not gambit yeah 
True. James Bond does not fit this no, though, right? This, he does not. not. He is he is not sexy. He's sexy to men. <laughs> men think he's right, sexy. Okay. Th- this is something that Danny threw a he threw a screenshot of Michael Janin's art um from Batman into the chat and I was like, "No, no, no. Like those are attractive people, but that art is for yep. men. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that is not mm-hmm. for women." Um so yeah, it's uh and, you know, abs, if, not if enough you, heart. Right. And if and there's nothing to say that like if you're attracted to that, like there's anything wrong with you. You know, we're not saying that, but like that type of beefcake thing is typically drawn more for male readers and people who who find that thing in, you know, I guess attractive, which is not necessarily all women, despite what many men may think, that women only want big beefcake dudes. Um, those dudes are doing that not for not for anyone but to impress other men right mm. for the most part yes mm-hmm. but anyways okay well i guess fi- final summation here final thoughts on on sexy bad boys are they bad are they good i don't know tia what, what are your final thoughts here well i'll just reiterate that it's a really bad idea to engage with these dynamics in real life as fun as it may be it i would consider it a form of self-harm and you should probably like go to therapy keep it to the fiction yeah, it's that's fun it. in fiction. It's like that's that go ham on the fiction. Like do all the fiction. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Write your own fiction, you know? Yeah, we we've done that, Mike. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Any depth that you assign to to like the sort of brooding quiet men in your life, like that's you. You are the thing that makes them exciting. Mm. I love that. That's beautiful to you. I love that too. Yeah, Kara, final thoughts? Um, Final thoughts, not comic book related, but (laughs) Um, okay, so Tia already knows this because I yelled about this to her and, you know, talking about not feeling the need to finish a book when it's bad. Tia was like, Kara, just stop reading this book. And I was like, no. Mm -hmm. So there's this terrible, like truly terrible in so many ways, Twilight ripoff book series, the first of which is called Crave. And I'm halfway through it and I can only listen to the audiobook in like 30 minute sprints because it's so bad. It makes me actively angry. And then I text Tia about it and she tells me to stop and I tell her no. Right. So the 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 boy, the sexy boy in this book almost immediately is like, you know, right, what I was saying about I appreciate like really tropey genre fiction and right away, mm-hmm. like the girl shows up her parents have just died at the fancy mystery academy in the middle of the wilderness in alaska and pretty much the first person she meets is the boy and he's got like broad shoulders and he's tall and he has dark hair falling in his face and he's got dark eyes that look at you intensely and he's got cut cheekbones that you could cut glass on and he's got puffy lips and all this expression and this description was so over the top and so clearly like Edward Cullen, but better that my brain just started superimposing that like one screen grab from SpongeBob where it's like sexy Squidward where he's got oh like a God. strong jaw. As <laughs> soon as you started describing that, that's the first thing I was thinking of. Exactly. Oh my God. I'm like this dude is sexy Squidward. So. Oh my god, his name is Jackson with an X because he's extreme. <laughs> Why? <laughs> oh my god. This is what I'm saying. Like, there's there's also a range of like 
good bad boy fiction and bad bad boy fiction. I would put this in the latter category, but I'm still mm-hmm. reading it because it's making me laugh. That's it's almost sounds almost as bad as that rogue book that they published uh, that I read. Um, that I made you yeah, read. That, rogue that you touch made me read. It was not this- a hard. You know, forced, but I definitely was forced into reading it. Uh. The dude in that book, I forget the exact description, but in my head, he became this guy that I saw working at a Hot Topic one time where I just so desperately (laughs) wanted to go up to him and introduce him to the concept of hair conditioner. Because whatever he had done to his hair, he had like whatever Severus Snape is doing, the opposite of that was this poor dude's longish hair. Like just if your hair is frizzy, good sirs, please try a good hair mask. I beg. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's quite a a final thought. Um, Tia, Kara, I appreciate you both bringing this topic back to my attention. Um, I have lots to think of, though. I feel that after almost 300 episodes since we recorded episode 48 i feel like i have learned and grown and understand this idea a lot more than what i did way back then so um i have i think the both of you to thank for that as well as the rest of the other folks on the show that are constantly trying to enlighten me this still uncultured boy who hosts this show um so thank you both for 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 doing this episode today with me um next week me and kate and kate are going to be revisiting a yearly favorite it's that time of year fall vibes but comic books and kate and kate are going to be bringing and i'm going to try as well to bring some fall vibe comic books to talk about since it's getting cold in new jersey i've got to imagine it's getting colder in the rest of the united states and if you don't live in the united states well it's it's autumn here and we're going for autumnal vibes so as always you can check us on twitter and instagram and tiktok discord goodreads there's links all in the show notes um support us on patreon at patreon.com slash ircb podcast infinity shred does all of our music they're the best band in the universe xander is here and it's already too late for all of us so i want to say thank you to Tia and Kara and everybody on Discord who is hanging out with us today. Thank you to Danny for proof listening. Thank you to everyone out there for listening to the show in general. You are wonderful human beings. And until next time, comics are good and so are you. Comics are good.